0: Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And today um, I am interviewing a friend, uh, Scott Cooper, who is in Peterborough. And uh, when I was in Bible College in Peterborough, I used to walk downtown a lot and up and down George Street going to the college. And uh, even back then, Uh, Even though it's a smaller city, it had uh, just a a good urban vibe to it. Uh, For almost 30 years, uh, Scott Cooper pastored in various Pentecostal churches, and he enjoyed a satisfying and fruitful ministry. Uh, But uh, in his last 10 years pastoring in Peterborough, uh, he was in a church that was on the edge of town, And uh, his heart began to open deeply to the obvious poverty and the struggles of Peterborough's street-affiliated community. And through a series of unplanned encounters with struggling people and the growing awareness that his season of pastoral ministry at that church was winding down, he began the transition to become a Mission Canada Urban worker in Peterborough. So, uh, welcome, uh, Scott. Good to have you on today. And
1: yeah, thanks, Kevin. Appreciate yeah, you.
0: I know that uh, you're at at the uh, the beginning. Since uh, I'm involved in the team that's that's launching you, I know that you're still at the front end of raising your support and moving to full time urban worker. But um, why don't you tell uh, folks who are watching or listening today? about the unfolding dream. What is it that you're uh, doing in in Peterborough and and what are you going to be doing in helping, uh, especially in the poverty sector of your city?
1: Yeah, well, so the little village of Peterborough, I guess the city of Peterborough, 80 some odd thousand. um, I just read a a report that came out of uh, Peterborough City that 311 people are identified as homeless. That was July, 2021 statistics. And I wonder how they do that and how they count that and how many they didn't count. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can't help, but uh, everyone remarks that how many homeless are downtown uh, and so visible right now um, down by the river, down on the main street, George and water. And um yeah, I was really so I, struck.
0: I was really struck by that yeah. when I visited you earlier this year in Peterborough. And uh, every few years, I get to drop back into Peterborough for some reason. And uh, but yeah, it, it was noticeable uh, much more than any other time I've I've been in the city.
1: Yeah. and And I think as a pastor in the city, I was noticing it more, especially in the last three or four years, and God was really tugging on my heart. And There's a group called uh, Disciple of City, uh, led by a young guy named Adam, uh, and just a tremendous group of young, on fire believers, and they're teaching people to go out and and talk with people, just have conversations and and share the gospel. And one of my parishioners, guy my age, maybe just a little bit older, was telling me he was doing it, and I was secretly a little jealous. (laughs) I thought, (laughs) what the heck, you know? And I I can stand talk to hundreds of people but just to, to talk to a street person, a street involved person for me was, I think a little scary. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm going with you next time, you know? And so I went with him. Um, by the time I found the time, it was after I had resigned, you know, but we, he and I went and I was finished with my, um, commitment at Northview church. And, yeah. and so we went out one night with Disciple of City and, had two or three encounters. Met a uh, a man it was February, and so this guy was sleeping in uh, uh, the alcove of a of a business, uh, mm. sleeping bags and all that. We went and bought him a coffee, and then shared Jesus with him and prayed for him, and I, that kind of gave me a whole new um, perspective. slowing down, looking a guy in the eye, buying him a coffee, seeing his gratitude just for a simple coffee. And then just getting down on my knees and kind of talking to him and hearing his heart. It's couldn't believe the way he opened up about his past, about his struggles. So I started doing it on a regular basis. Uh, My buddy, uh, you know, was working a full time job, I suddenly had all this time. And so (laughs) I'd park the truck and Walk down to the local Tim Hortons. There's one where a lot of the street people hang out. And, and uh, I just determined that I was going to buy somebody a coffee that day and talk with them. So I've been doing that. It's led me to all kinds of uh, conversations. I've heard all kinds of heartbreaking stories. Um, and out of that, I think, was born this idea that, man, I, I want to help these people if I can. Uh, just take the next step in a very practical kind of humanitarian aid kind of way. There's plenty of um, opportunities. There's plenty of, there's plenty of social structures and uh, um, helps in Peterborough, you know, and I'm thinking, my goal really is to connect these street involved people with the helps that already exist, government, um, churches, uh, you know, volunteer stuff that's going on and, and, um, just, just be kind, just be generous, just show hospitality and be a good listener. And, uh, I've already found that people are confiding in me. Uh, it's funny, just yesterday I talked with a man named Brian who was on a park bench and finishing off his tall boy beer, (laughs) his $2 beer. Poor guy was not in the greatest of shape. And I sat down on the bench with him beside him and just said, Hey, how you doing? Not too good. And I said, Well, well tell me about it. And he starts telling me about it. Then he stops. He goes, Who the who the F are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm just, just the guy that cares, man. You know, and, and so he's guarded at first. And yeah, he stopped a few times to ask me who I was. And I just said, Look, honestly, man, I'm just the guy that cares. Keep talking. Tell me. I want to know. Anyway his big concern was housing and housing is very difficult in Peterborough like anywhere mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in my phone contacts, I, I know a landlord who has two or three, uh, rooming houses. They're not places you and I would be delighted to stay in, but <laughs> it's a warm spot. And I said, to Brian, I said, look, man, if I make this call, uh, would you go with me to, to see whether we can get you a plate? And he's just like, what? yeah, man, I'll do that. And he just, so I called this contact and, Mm -hmm. uh, the supervisor was home. We went, um, sat in the kitchen of this rooming house, filled out an application and, and the supervisor was really pleased with this man, Brian, and, and kind of took him right to the top of the list. And there's a real good chance that Brian's going to be in off, off the street and into a room by the end of the month. So, That's the kind of thing that I want to do. I'm also establishing a relationship with Brian. I'll be in touch with him again. We'll have further conversations. And through the power of that relationship, like while we were on the bench, I prayed with him twice, once about finding a place and the second time about the pain that was in his body. Mm. But, um, you know, it just didn't feel right to, uh, you know, go through the whole four spiritual laws with him and all that right there. You know, I just, it, we just weren't ready, you know, but my, but my goal with Brian is to build relationships, stay in touch with him, see things improve for him. Um, and, uh, and through the power of that relationship, the kindness that, that I'm going to naturally have the ability to share the full gospel with them and see him enter the kingdom. So it's a double whammy that, but that's what I'm after, but they like, meet those needs first If I can, uh, and then through the power of that relationship, bring them to meet Jesus.
0: Well, you know, Scott, it reminds me of, uh, I heard a story of a man whose job was tending animals, and uh, he had um, uh, 99 in the fold, and he (laughs) went out to find the one lost sheep, yeah. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a bit of a, a parallel to what you're doing. You, you left the, the 99 at uh, Northview Church and yeah. uh, to, to go on the street, uh, not with an, a schedule, but right. with an open heart to say, uh, Holy Spirit, lead me. Uh, yeah. Who can I buy a coffee today? And, and so this is this new kind of, kind of rhythm for you. Oh, um, yeah, it's new, yeah. That's so different than, than is, pastoring yeah. a church, or, or it can be. Yeah. Um, now, um, we'll talk a little bit more about Peterborough and, and the city and some of the needs and some of the plans. But before we do that, I just kind of want to dig in a little bit. And uh, um, you're, uh, you're, you're in your, your early 50s, I believe. 55. and uh 55 yeah and yep. so you have got uh almost 30 years of uh being uh, full-time ministry pastoring in different places and yep. uh, tell me tell me about some of the places that you served um as a pastor and how did that um feed into uh, this new sense of calling to to go to the streets. Uh, like, I don't think this just happened overnight. I think that, you know, there's a good likelihood that pieces of this were, were planted in you a long time ago and had just been slowly growing. Am I right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been considering this question for a bit. Um, I think it's kind of starts back when I was a teenager, teenager, I got saved at a, at a Bible camp as a 12 year old, uh, and I uh, went to a Pentecostal church for the first time in my life at uh, 15, I guess I was. And that was a new experience for me. But the, the pastors there talked a lot about mission. And we'd have a world missions organization, Don Horbin uh, at Cedarview Church. I, I'm a Cedarview kid, I guess, really. And, uh, new Market market, Yeah. Don yeah. uh, and Mike Horbin. there was, you know, they'd have a, a mission week or month every year and missionaries from all over the world. I met, uh, Jim and Kathy Cantillon there. Actually when I started going there, they were still the pastors and they went to mm-hmm. Israel. It, it got in my heart. I just thought, you know, Christians are on mission. We're, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're about, uh, yeah, going out. And, uh, so it started there. I think, I think the Horbins really helped plant that in my heart as a young man, I went off to Bible college. Uh, then, you know, some of the guys I worked with Charlie Swarwood, you know, a community guy been the pastor and in, in Stratford for 30 some odd years before yeah, now, he retired. Now,
0: now police, he's the chaplain. Police chaplain. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the police. Yeah. Yeah. And the head of the Ontario police chaplains association. So, I mean, this guy doesn't quit, but it, for him, pastoring was about community. Everybody in Stratford would be in a coffee shop. Hey, Pastor Charlie, they don't go to our church, but so you know that 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 idea of mission mission being outside of our you know our, of our house and reaching to the end of the world, but then also we're on mission as a as a church to be in you know in community. Uh, then you know I worked alongside Tom Quinn was his associate pastor i've been up to north spirit lake on bearskin uh, airlines with with uh with tom and other small indigenous communities preaching in their little um you know chapels and and churches and so i've been exposed um to different facets of of communities and peoples outside of my small group by the men that mentored me which i'm very grateful for um, I remember even as a, for me, even as a youth pastor, trying to figure out how to motivate my first youth group in Milton, Ontario. Um, we, we, uh, we walked the streets with Paul Burke. We went on a weekend down to Toronto and Paul oh, Burke yes. was a missionary down there. We slept on the hardwood floor of this old Anglican church right next to the Toronto center and then the Eaton center. And then we, and then we, uh, walked the streets with pastor Paul. And his church was, was the people. And we were, and he warned us, you know, we're going to be walking in some of the seediest parts of town and we're going to be talking to prostitutes and, and, you know, drug addicts and stuff. And, and I'm thinking as a pastor, you know, this is going to be good for my farm kids in, in, you know, Milton. And then again, in Stratford, we did it and, and uh, you know, good exposure for them. Well, man, I'm telling you, it was a great exposure for me just watching Paul deal with these people um, with respect and kindness and the and the love that they had for him. And I mean, these people <laughs> were used to cut him coming around with groups because there's like 15 young people following him around like a puppy dog. And we're yeah. all it's almost like a trip to the zoo. Like they, you know, they were there to observe and they're I was amazed at how gracious the street involved people were with us. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they understood what he was trying to do build awareness and they weren't offended by you know and i, I just i learned a lot watching paul yeah paul
0: burke, burke inspired uh so many you know yeah, and yeah. uh and he really was um in in toronto at, at, during those years uh really was uh cutting a new path uh in fact, I um, uh, learned a couple years ago, uh, Shane Claiborne is a uh, famous, uh, uh, well-known uh, Christian that uh, came alongside Tony Campolo in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and, and uh, Shane's very active in urban ministry and uh, learned that uh, he did an internship with Paul Burke. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I don't know if, uh, Paul's, uh, listening to the podcast today, but if you are Paul, uh, you know, just, we all want you to know that, uh, you are a great inspiration and we love, uh, what you did in Toronto. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: I don't even know if Paul would remember me. That was like 1991, you know, but, uh, yeah, Paul, you,
0: yeah,
1: you had impact on, on probably way more people than you ever realized. And, uh. Part of what shaped
0: me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So um, some of the early experiences taking kids on mission trips, uh, um, encountering just people in in poverty. Uh, So let's go back even farther to the start of the call of God in your life. You know, when did... uh, when did you have that awakening, that sense that, you know, I've given my life to the Lord, but now I need to give my life to serving the Lord uh, full time? How did that uh, take shape in you?
1: Yeah, that was, I can't remember a certain event, but it certainly happened at Cedarview Church. Like, so I got saved at a Brethren Bible Camp, and went to a Brethren Bible Chapel, and got baptized there, and loved that experience. And we uh, we went to the to the Pentecostal Church in in uh, when I was around fifteen. I remember it all kind of crashing in my, on me. I think by the time I was sixteen, I knew the call of God was on me, and it, a lot of it was just observing how passionate these believers were about given it all to reach the lost and Mm. um i didn't don't think i told a lot of people about it i was quite nervous about it because (laughs) i'm i'm an introvert by nature and i didn't like the idea of having to stand in front of people and preach i kind of thought i was going to be a missionary and go to africa to build churches what's hilarious is when i say build churches i meant (laughs) put up structures you know (laughs) like i was (laughs) i was in woodworking in grade 10 building furniture and stuff and i That's that's how I'll serve on the mission field. And God had other plans, but um yeah, no, I I think right around that age of 15, 16, just that sense that God was God wanted me to do the to give my life to this. And mm-hmm. uh, and so it was And uh, I want to go back to Jim Canelon too. There was a moment in time there. I do remember this moment vividly where we had just got to the church and Jim Pastor Jim Canelon was the pastor and his wife Kathy. So they're this young beautiful couple in their 30s. I mean she's this gorgeous blonde. They have three little uh, blonde haired kids like probably all under I don't know eight years old or something. Just the sweetest looking family. And I never forget them standing up and telling us that they were having to resign and it just knocked the church over and that they were going to get on a plane and they were going to Israel, that God had called them to Israel. Well, that was the time in the eighties of Scud missile attacks and, you know, People weren't visiting Israel at that time. It was a dangerous place. And here's this guy bringing his beautiful wife and children over there to live because God had called him. And I'll never yeah. forget this statement. He said, I have determined that it is safer for me in Israel in the center of God's will than anywhere else being out of the will of God.
0: <laughs> and I just <laughs> went,
1: holy, that was awesome. yeah. Uh, Again a but, powerful, impactful thing and, and I yeah, I think that was one of the things for me I want to yeah. be in care of as well.
0: Well, you know that's that's so true and it's amazing how when we respond to that direction from the Lord to to go somewhere or to be with with someone, that he actually takes takes the fear out of it. He gives you uh-huh. the grace that you need for um, what would otherwise be a a discomforting situation. And uh, I'm sure that that that's been part of a a change in you going from, you know, the um, uh, relative uh, security and comfort of a local church to being the guy out on the streets by himself mixing with people that other people are trying to avoid yeah and uh you couldn't do that without a a sense of empowerment right a sense of uh i'm i'm happy to be doing this i want to do this yeah that's interesting true yeah um so um, in your life, were there some other uh, mentors or influencers that uh, affected your sense of calling to the streets in particular?
1: Well, um, hung out with Sammy Welton for a while. He, he's the, you know, the president of uh, the, the executive director of of possibilities international and and actually worked alongside with him for about a year and a half and got to see poverty in Mm -hmm. other countries like Mm -hmm. uh, guatemala and ukraine and uh um kyrgyzstan and Mm -hmm. like i've taken trips with teams uh from churches over there and we don't know what poverty is like the 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 squalor of some of these government-run homes for disabled children, or senior citizens, or mentally handicapped men—just unbelievable. Mm. Um, uh, it was—it was in traveling with Sam and doing overseas and stuff that I realized that we're the oddballs in Canada. We—we we think the whole world's like us, and everywhere else. <laughs> you know they don't have the government programs they don't have the the supports they don't have the wealth the uh, homes the food the you know the stores that that we do even the the law and order like driving in any one of those countries you know just traffic in and out and yeah just so uh that that was that helped shape and form me uh I know in uh when I was pastoring in Goderich in 2007 we took um I think about 30 people over and redid a, an orphanage in in Tokmok, uh Kyrgyzstan. We raised $45,000 in the community through through fundraisers and dinners and things like that, car washes and everything uh and poured it into this to to hiring local workers for doing tiling and and uh, you know electrical work and all that stuff and then working alongside with them. It was awesome to see the transformation. Honestly, I got back from that trip and just went, what are we doing (laughs) in Canada? You know, like
0: the the
1: amount of money it took to transform that and to bring, to bring incredible change to the lives of those orphans was, was really powerful. So, you know, traveling to other countries, um, Sam's a man of incredible generosity, watching him, bless people beyond their wildest imagination is was a lot of fun. <laughs> and that guy just he's he's a ball of fun no matter where he goes, but yeah, that when, was,
0: that was when, when you know people like Sam Walton, uh, you know, or uh, you know, many other names we could mention, Paul Burke, uh, yeah. you know, there's 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 people in our life that uh what you you see the uh it's it's not just a job it, it it really is something that makes them alive it's wrapped up in who they are you uh you get up close and uh, it, it can be overwhelming if you're not used to it but yeah. at the same time um it it has this ripple effect on our heart right yeah and, all uh, overflow, yeah. yeah so so being around sam um stirred some things and opened up some things in you so let's talk about let's talk about peterborough and uh, so what's what's the big plan what are you going to do what are you doing
1: yeah well so again i i really sense that the plan is fluid (laughs) i've i feel the holy spirit's kind of said to me like scott don't be trying to nail this thing down uh completely but the, the best idea that I have of it right now is that it's kind of a two-stage situation the first stage is just I'm in this fundraising stage of you know I'm so grateful for Mission Canada the supports they give you've been a coach for me and my urban missionary coach and I've you know honestly learned uh things from you and and uh Charles Hermalink's been you know a a fundraising coach things that I thought "Ah, I know how to you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know how to do this. But honestly, those resources have been so helpful. And then, and then to have, you know, the umbrella of Mission Canada for folks to give and get receipted and all that's just been awesome. So I'm delighted to be with Mission Canada. Um, right now, I'm, I'm in that stage of just trying to get enough funding so that I can be on the street full time. Lately, I've been driving transport part time and doing odd jobs, doing brake jobs and for, you know, automotive stuff in my garage for people. And, but I'm still taking time uh, out of my week. And you mentioned it unhurried uh, blocks of time. Like I won't go down if I only have an hour. I need three hours or something. Cause if I meet somebody, I don't want them seeing me looking at my watch. Well, I got to go. Yeah. Uh, the beauty of, of walking and talking with people down there is not having anywhere else to be. I watched Jesus do that, you know, and the chosen's really helpful. If you, you know, you watch that Jesus, uh, function, but, um, Jesus, even if he had somewhere else to be, he was present with the person, you know, this guy's daughter is dying and they're on their way to the home. But when the woman showed up, who, who needed Jesus help. He stopped and helped her and made sure she was complete before he moved on to the next thing. And, and so, so I'm walking and talking with people. I, I'm on an, on a weekly basis, even, even with part-time work and everything I'm going down and building relationship with people, talking with them, listening is the thing. Pastors are great at talking. <laughs> but i've been learning to listen and not 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 have anything to say just listen just mm-hmm. just show them the dignity of hearing their story and and just you know oh man that is terrible or or that's a piece of good news or or whatever but reacting to them and not being so hung up on oh i got to get the gospel in here i got to get this you know i got to get my two cents in the goal to build relationship to show kindness to treat them with respect because so often they don't get it uh that's what i'm doing right now building a network of relationships with the people as many people as i can on the streets and then at the same time i've been having meetings with canadian mental health supervisors and odsp workers and uh, Brock mission, you know, the men's shelter, the, the yes shelter, the, you know, meeting the supervisors and the, the uh, directors so that if I do meet somebody that could benefit from one of those services, I can, I got them in my contact list and I can call them and say, Hey, I'm going to walk with Joe up to the front desk here. If you'd meet us, Joe just needs some help in this area. So advocating for these people, helping them get to the next step, if they want it, I know a lot of the, a lot of the people they're not looking for help. They're fine, but even just to sit and listen to them, build relationship, come and see them again. Um, eventually, I haven't had anybody tell me they don't want me to pray for them. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you get the, you know you just show them that you care.
0: Well, you know, I think when when you look at a safety net in a city. Uh, primarily you have in the safety net, uh, a mix of social work and, uh, sometimes you have faith-based, uh, ministries that oh. are, are stepping in to make a difference. And, uh, I think, uh, when a faith-based group or person like, like yourself steps into it, there's a, there's a great recognition uh that uh, we are encountering people that have a spirit mm. people that have uh, a some kind of knowledge or experience of the Almighty yeah. uh, whether they're converted or not, uh, they are spiritual beings and yeah. and uh, so we we recognize that but sometimes social work is slow to... Um, Uh, to, to get to that page, you know, it's everything else is first, you know, and, um, and, and that's, that's okay. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that um, you see yourself being able to connect uh, with people that you encounter um, to uh, you're, you're not going to be the social worker that provides every service but you're going to be the guy that knows every service that you can connect to right. them to appropriately. But more than that, also being uh, their pastor, whether they yeah. call you that or they call you father or padre <laughs> or, or uh, call you something you can't repeat on air. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. You, you're, you're stepping into a, a relationship with uh, people that, uh, by and large um, are disconnected from say the life of the church I'm sure you saw it as a pastor you know that oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. that uh, you know we we do pretty good at kind of keeping the local church uh, as a, a place of refuge and safety and uh, when we get somebody that has exceptional challenges in their life, we don't always know what to do. And yeah. um, well, you. so in, in pastoring, um, you know, uh, you told me the story about, uh, about the winter day when you were driving your truck somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, th- this is the way that the Jesus heart works in people. So why don't, why don't you tell that story about what, what happened that day? Because it's a good story. And it yeah. speaks volumes to what's being shaped in you.
1: It was three, three years ago, December 8th. And um, I had been setting up tables for our church banquet uh, down in Peterborough. And we, we've just moved north of Peterborough five minutes to Ennismore. And so I was driving home and it was a cold north wind. There was some snowflakes in the air and in the skies on the side of the road. <clears throat> with uh like long scraggly hair and a an old 1960s uh full face helmet but the visor's missing like it was just a shell i don't even know if it had the stuffing in it you know it was just this and then he had this old black leather jacket and he's kicking this e-bike kind of uphill it's obviously disabled it's dead and i can tell you he he was he, wherever he was going it was going to take him hours to get there there was nothing between the the road that i was viewing him at and the destination the next town was ennismore bridge north there so i just was like wow man i would not want to be that guy and i was driving <laughs> driving by and i just sensed the holy spirit go okay what are you gonna do about that uh you know that is at the end of the matter and i had to turn around come back stop talk to the guy convince him to let me help him he was really uh really suspicious about why I wanted to help him I said look man I don't want anything from you I'm not you know I'm not a freak or whatever but I I said there's this guy thousands of years ago said he's a really smart dude and said if you, you should uh do to others what you would have them do unto you and I said I'm watching you and I wouldn't you know I'd want somebody to stop picking me up so anyway we chatted all the way up when, when he got in the vehicle with me, I, I mean, he was, uh, he was, um, it was quite an odor to him. (laughs) I don't think he showered for days and uh, turns out he was in his mid twenties, really nice kid um, and wanted to go to his, his storage unit. So we took the bike to the storage unit and I said to him, Hey, would you like to come back to my house? It's just five minutes back down the road grab a warm shower, warm up a bit. So he thought that was great. They threw him in the shower and was running around trying to find a tooth box, toothbrush in a box, a new one, and some clothes out of my closet, just some jeans and everything were about the same size, and found him some leftovers in the fridge. And then while he's shoving that down, I said to him, hey, uh, we got our church banquet tonight. And, and I said, it's going to be a really good meal. I could probably hook you up with a free ticket i didn't tell him i was the pastor <laughs> he didn't find out <laughs> till later when we got there but uh oh yeah that'd be good so he came to the to the banquet um i was just so delighted at our men our men's group we'd been studying a a, a bible study from world vision called world vision can he, uh compassion canada called um eyes to see it's all about poverty and not just you know money spiritual poverty and everything and so these these guys surrounded this young man and greeted him my my guys from uh my men's group and um made sure he had a ride to church he became part of our church basically we had a different guy picking him up we found out he lived on the street uh and he was living in the brock mission it wasn't long before he was fearful that he was going to get really beat up there and wanted to find his own place. And he showed me one day we were having lunch and he showed me this ad for a, for a small bachelor apartment. He said, I said, we'll call it. And he said, well, they never take me seriously. I don't have a home address. I don't have a return number, you know, I said, well, give me the phone. So I, I called, um, and just said to the landlord you know i'm a local pastor here's i'm I'm sitting with this guy i've known him for a while now and i he's he's got good character he you know could we come see it and so the landlord said yeah sure we went and saw the place and and got it that day and wow yeah it was just that was just such a great feeling to be able to help this young guy and he got his own little apartment um he later got in trouble with the law and i got a call from the, uh, from the prison to, uh, you know, be, to, to uh, be a surety so that he could be released on bail, went through the whole court system with him, developed a team of men, those same team of men from the church. There was five guys that we looked in on him every day, made sure he had clothing and food and got him out to do laundry and go to Walmart and, you know, outings. One guy had him out to his farm every Saturday. Another guy picked him up for church every Sunday. And as long as he was with one of us, he could be out of his house. And so. So it sounds like know.
0: even as a pastor, you already were leading in a way that motivated people to step up. And, yeah, I, I yeah.
1: believe. It was, uh, And I was learning. I'm telling you, I was learning at the same time. There's lots yeah. of frustrations because the way this young man was raised, he didn't really he may tell you one thing and not be able to fulfill his commitment or whatever. And to me, that was like, what, (laughs) uh, you know, but, uh, so, so even the frustrations I encountered, uh, I learned all kinds of things about the courts. I understand now the frustration of police officers and lawyers and judges and wow, our, our system is really sluggish, you know, And, and justice is hard to find in the midst of it all. And, um, so it was a great education for me. Uh,
0: you you remind me a little bit of uh, a woman that I met uh, about a dozen years ago, 11 or 12 years ago. No, actually a little more than that. Uh, she started uh, doing some ministry about 11 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Prior to that, uh, 14 years ago, I met Marie. I was asked to come to uh, a graveside funeral for a woman that had overdosed. And Mm. uh, there was uh, just not a supportive family structure around her. So no funeral home, uh, you know, not a a whole lot of people that uh, were there, but there was a a small gathering at the graveside. And uh, it was this uh, picturesque little roadside uh, cemetery and and, uh, and and I, uh, I didn't know her, but I knew that she was a, a person that God loved. Right. And uh, so on, on that basis, I prepared a message and a service and, and uh, used it as an opportunity to just uh, um, learn uh, from her life and, and uh, to encourage the people that were gathered and and this woman came up to me afterwards, and it turned out it was this woman and her sister had organized uh, this little graveside funeral. Uh, they had handled the arrangements, and there was some connection that they had. So uh, afterwards, there was a lunch back at Marie's house. And and uh, so I went to the lunch, and, and I'm visiting with people I don't know. That's often a pastoral yeah. experience you right. know around weddings and funerals but uh, yeah. <laughs> so marie says to me uh, she says i'm going to retire in 3 years and when i retire i'm going to give you a call because i love the funeral you did and as i told her about the the church that i pastor and the kind of things we were doing she said I want to come and I want to volunteer.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. And,
0: and I thought, oh, well, you know, I mean, lots, of lots of people state good intentions. And so I thanked her and didn't think much of it though, because we'll see. Right? right. So true to her word, three years later, she calls me up. Hey, remember me? Yeah, I do remember. And, uh, she says, well, I'm retired now. She was, um, uh, an educator in, in the medical field and, and a real sharp uh, lady and now at retirement age and a Catholic lady. And uh, so she said, how can I help? What can I do here? And uh, at that time, we had a uh, a bit of a drop in kind of thing happening in the church. And uh, I said, well, you know, the I rather than creating some kind of job description. I'd like you to come um uh, when you can come and just sit and be with the people that are here and well, just have conversations with them and uh we we'll, we'll, we'll see what this grows into. And um so uh now for 11 years she's been this incredible advocate for street affiliated people. Um she doesn't attend our church. She's uh you know, she's a happy Catholic, and and uh, but she loves Jesus, and she loves the people, and and she will uh, take on. Um, she doesn't say yes to everybody, but she's selective, and and she'll take on the hardest cases, you know, and and just spend hours with them, going with them to appointments, getting them connected, and. And one thing she discovered real quickly is that sometimes um, the people who are uh, struggling on ODSP, people who maybe have mental health issues or different kinds of issues, sometimes they're not the best communicators and that becomes a real barrier to good service. And so she would spend enough time to really find out what it is that they need and then walk with them. And in fact, she had... Um, uh, a couple times she appeared in court and represented um, uh, people in court and she's not a lawyer, <laughs> but yeah. but she um, she kind of uh, did a did a quick study on what she needed. To, how do you how do you talk to a judge? And 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 she went in just as a compassionate advocate and, you know, won the case. Wow. Um, you know, and uh, but she's a straight shooter too. Like, if she's going to represent somebody in court, she'll say, "Listen, you gotta, you gotta be completely honest with me, um, because you know, if if you're not telling me the truth and you're trying to, to con me, um, you know, and I find out, um, I, I'm done. I won't be helping you. And uh, so she's learned how to communicate effectively and compassionately. And, um, you know, there's, uh, sometimes people think, well, you gotta, you gotta, you know, have some kind of, uh, degree, some kind of, um, you know, special certification to be able to go out and make a difference. And, uh, to that, I say, well, that may help, but, uh, I'll take a person led by the spirit who's submitted to the Lord in good relationship with others any day, you know, and say, go to it. Um, You know, there's, uh, you know, imagine if instead of um, you being kind of this odd duck in Peterborough, this, you know, ex-pastor that's uh, walking the streets, what if that was just, um, what if there were just literally dozens of people who said, I'm giving myself to this. What would that yeah. look like? Eh? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of my vision. I mean, that's really the, what I, what I hope happens next. Like once I'm able to get out there, I want to duplicate that. And that's where I'm hoping to serve the church too, where people that really mm. want to help, but don't know how, or are afraid like I was um, to be able to come and, and do that, do the Paul Burke thing, bring them alongside and, uh, already did that yesterday. I, there was four other people we split up into teams and, and went and did that. And uh, so, and eventually you'd, you'd ask me what my vision was. I just wanted to mention real quick that the second part of that vision is to actually have a street front, front uh, location mm-hmm. where I could have a team of volunteers that would man that place. You know, you could have computers for online applications you'd have uh, a mail physical mail address for them uh an email address if they needed uh, you know phone messages could be taken mm-hmm.
0: and,
1: and then you could have people out walking around bringing people back to that storefront call it the hub you know mm-hmm. a place of connecting to all over the community so that's really i mean that's a bigger part of the vision It requires more money for leases and but um it's really. I'm really hoping that we have an army of street level advocates on uh, in Peterborough uh, before too long. That's part so,
0: of so. So yeah, being able to that that uh, well established uh, relationship that you have with churches is such an important part of urban ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because you become this portal to mission. Right. Uh, you become this, uh, you know, if you think of uh, the Himalayas, and uh, if you're going to, you don't just say, I'm going to go to Mount Everest without any preparation or any guide, you, you, yeah. you, you, you need a guide, you need a Sherpa. Yeah. And uh, our cities need Sherpas. They need people like you that can uh, walk people on safe paths uh, through the city. Um, yeah. Um, now your wife, Wendy, um, she works at master's college and seminary in Peterborough. And, um, you, we've talked a little bit about, you know, how you'd like to, um, also, uh, be a resource to the school and to students and what kind of things would, uh, uh, would, would, would happen in that context.
1: Yeah. Well, um, already this year I've been called upon by the school, but master's college and seminary uh, to uh, pastor or uh, professor Graham uh, Gibson runs mm-hmm. uh, the urban, urban um, ministries course, like he, and, and uh, world, you know, kind of usually they go to Toronto with COVID they haven't been able to. So they, they've done it in Peterborough the last couple of years. And, so they asked me to come and to lead a small group. So I had seven students with me and we walked through the city and I, I gave them some of the history, some of the, and so, talked about some of the experiences I've had. And we walked down by the river and it was, uh, and we would stop and pray. Uh, we, we stopped prayed over the, over the police station. I'm currently the, the chaplain of the Peterborough police, which is awesome too. That's just come about uh, and gives me opportunities um, and so it was just kind of a prayer walk and, 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 you know, I got seven or eight, uh, first year students who are tomorrow's leaders in our movement. It's just so cool. And, uh, that's an annual thing, I think. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, I can, you know, uh, be, uh, available to the school for, I don't know, maybe other classes or whatever things come up. I'm, I'm just hopeful uh, Graham's a great friend, um, and Wendy knows everybody there, and so I'm just hoping that. And of course, we had lots of students attending Northview Church because it's the closest church geographically to the school. So many of the students in the older grades, they're in the older uh, classes, their third and fourth years, have, have actually sat in the pews at our church. So. I, I don't know what it holds, but I, I believe that that's kind of part of the future. I mean, served 30 years in this movement and, and 10 of them right in this town and got great relationships all through the school. So I'm, I'm hoping to be, again, just available to be or do whatever they want me to do uh, to help shape tomorrow's leaders.
0: You said uh, that you are the chaplain. For Peterborough Police, yeah. So tell me about that. What's what's a police chaplain do?
1: Well, um, I mean, basically, I I think there's kind of two sides to that. There, there, there's the official side, which I think the police chief and the higher ups see. They want a guy that has a dress uniform. I, I, I have a dress uniform, a number one dress uniform. They call it. And you show up at, uh, you know, special events to say grace and, you know, to give a blessing or whatever, uh, you know, you might be called on for certain events like like funerals or celebrations or whatever. And there's a very, you know, this is official uh, status. And I think that's kind of what the leadership sees in what a, a chaplain is. Um, uh, now there's great leadership in Peterborough and, And uh, Sergeant John Lyons is, is the staff sergeant there. He, he's a Catholic guy that he sees the other side of chaplaincy too, which is hanging out with the officers, um, being present at their social events, uh, riding alongside of them in their cruisers on their shifts. I've done that half a dozen times, getting to know those officers and hearing about their kids and their wives and their situations and laughing together and you know responding to calls together i go right to the door i i uh and um it's just an that's the part that excites me uh to be a listening ear many of our police are struggling community perception i I, being on a call remember going to the youth shelter and making an official call and getting out of the cruiser. And it was right beside the, the youth shelter in Peterborough is a, an older home. And right beside it is like a six-story high-rise. And when the cruiser pulled up and we got out, there had to be at least eight cell phones over the, uh, you know, the balconies pointed at the cops to see what they were going to do and say. And you you get that feeling of how these guys are constantly under scrutiny no matter what they do or say, or, you know, they have a lot of stresses. And if I can be uh, just a guy to listen, to uh, care, to be a cheerleader, yeah. um, and a guy maybe eventually as you build a relationship that they turn to, to confide in, that could be a source of encouragement, prayer, you know, th- th- those are my hopes. Again, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but, uh, but uh, I was—I've been a chaplain for twelve years with a with a motorcycle club called the Blue Knights, which is a law enforcement. Most of them are retired cops, so it takes a long time to earn their trust. But once you got it, they're—they're mm-hmm. they're amazing. Yeah. Well,
0: it—it it, it strikes me too that in uh, working with uh, street-affiliated uh, population. Uh, that uh, the police are often present uh, <laughs> in their yeah. lives and uh, so um, are, does that put you kind of in a bridge Definitely, position yeah. between the police and and the, yep. the people that you're you're helping yeah
1: yeah I'm really hopeful that you know as as my relationships on the street progress um you know, and on these ride-alongs, we we roll up on on people that are, you know, there's noise complaints or open alcohol containers or whatever. And uh, to be able to be the the guy that says, Hey, I, I know that guy, do you want me to talk to him? You know, for you, officer, and you know, and just kind of warm things up and, and uh to be able to bridge that gap between, you know this, even the street affiliated people will often see the police all as being oppressive, you know, and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so many of them are not the majority of them are, I mean, incredibly respectful and patient and kind, but, um, to be that go between, between the regulars that they encounter and, uh, and the police, um, is also one of my hopes. And it just was an incredibly God ordained, you know, thing that came up again, just in the last few months where a retired, uh, sergeant recommended me, uh, you know, a good Christian man. And so the opportunities that have dovetailed here are kind of crazy. (laughs) So again, I think it could be a lot bigger than I even envisioned uh, those relationships and the possibilities that are there.
0: I think you're going to be doing this for a while yeah yeah and uh so in the in the show notes uh on the website for the podcast uh we'll include a link to um, your mission canada page if people want to get in touch with you if they want to uh, support you financially uh there's ways for them to get involved in doing that and uh so um Uh, I I don't know if anybody told you this yet today, but Scott, thank you. Thank you for, for being, uh, a presence on the streets of Peterborough and, uh, for stepping in, um, to, to the difficult places and sometimes the difficult people and, uh, so we we pray that uh, that that just grows and that uh, that God sends you on assignment with a, a good company of uh, security angels around you. Yeah, Amen. And uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know uh, that doesn't mean that uh, you're you're going into grave danger. Chances are you're not when you go with the heart of Jesus. Yeah. You're 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 stepping in the light, and uh, so. So thank you, Scott, and uh, I think uh, that's a good point in our conversation to wind it up. Well, thank
1: and, you so uh, much for this opportunity. I just, I know your uh, your listeners and viewers are are far and wide, and I just appreciate the chance to tell my story. And uh, it's an unfolding, ongoing thing that it's probably going to look completely different next year at this time. So maybe we should
0: rebook. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I'd love to do that. And, uh, because, um, we're, we're lucky. I mean, sometimes I talk to people that, oh yeah, I've been doing this for 30 years and, uh, you're in your first year, uh, officially. And, uh, so I would love to, to have you come back and, and hear some stories of, um, and, and, you know, the, the interesting thing in this kind of work is that not every story ends well. Yeah. Uh, for for the people that we we give ourselves to and care about uh, but then there are the miracles then there are the ones that um, you know they're not on fentanyl anymore uh, now they're just smoking marijuana <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but you know what that's that's growth and that's that's uh, change and uh, Jesus calls us alongside people Uh, to witness what he wants to do in their life, to bring them to wholeness, to bring them to salvation and restoration. So, uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll catch up to you again real soon. God bless. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Bye, everybody. Thank you. That was Scott Cooper. I can't believe that we're already at the end of season two. We started this podcast on January 1st, 2020. And when we come back with our next episode, we're beginning season three. Uh, my very first guest is going to be Kevin Aaron Weeb, And uh, Kevin is a, a pastor that uh, although he uh, works in a uh, church that is uh, more out in the county in Southern Ontario, uh, he's written a book uh, that talks about how to uh, be generous when you're poor and uh, so we'll introduce his book to you Uh, it'll be in the show notes and uh, we are going to have a great conversation uh, about how followers of Jesus uh, in the city but also everywhere can be generous people even if you don't have much to give at least you feel you don't. So this will be an in-depth discussion uh, on the philosophy of poverty and uh, how we need to be thinking as we live in our communities. So come back, uh, will you, on January 1st, 2020, to as we begin season three, and we're gonna have some new theme music. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy that as well. Until next time, I'm Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.